probably took certain decisions in several areas. So who of you had to take a decision during the last week? But that's part of daily life. And who of you will have to take decisions in the coming week? Okay, everyone. So the Bible actually speaks about our decisions and how to get quality to our decisions before God, whether they make sense or not. So there are things that we are praying for, and usually in most churches, uh, people do pray this prayer. It's the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. We can read that in Matthew 5, verse 16, where it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done, as it is in heaven, let it be on earth. And so we know it so well that actually it doesn't stir anything within us, even though this phrase is an actual revolution. And that is the very prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. And today, we shall be thinking about the will of, get, will of God. What is God's will for my life? Or when I take decisions, which decisions are the ones that I do in agreement with the will of God? Do I have to listen to it each time, what is best, or where can I just go ahead? How can I receive the will of God, or is that just for big decisions, like finding a job or a partner? What's the will of God? Why is this so important? But actually, this is one of the most crucial questions in your life and our lives. So, the will of God is not just something for the beginning of your walk with Jesus when you just come to faith, but the will of God keeps being important every day, over and over again. So God has got a perfect plan for your life, we know that. And we want to take a look at a word here, found in the prophet Jeremiah, and this speaks about his calling, and the word of the Lord came to me. That's Jeremiah 1, verse 4 and 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So, we need to understand one thing right at the beginning. God has got a perfect plan for each one who follows him for each believer. So even before you were born, the Lord had a plan prepared already for you. For here we see it with Jeremiah, before even the beginning. And when you and I, when we were born, there was a secular or even satanic plan, but also there was the plan of God for you. Two very different possibilities. And then the very minute when you gave your life to Jesus, when you were saved, Satan actually lost his control over you. And the plan of destruction was over. And now the Word of God says something, because the plan of God is not visible to just anyone. But God's plan for your life, for our lives, you can't actually predict it. No fortune teller can say that. No philosopher, no scientist or scholar, no one can actually find out what this plan is. 
The only reason why people actually will not find out what the plan of God is for their lives, even though they want it, maybe you're here and you want to know what is God's plan for you. People, it doesn't matter where they live, you will not be able to find it unless you are in Jesus. That's what the Word of God says. The Bible says God's will and God's plan is only revealed in Jesus Christ. That's First Thessalonians 5, verse 18. There we can read, Be grateful in all things, because this is the good and perfect will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So it doesn't matter what culture you come from or what nation you come from. The plan of God, the perfect, the good and perfect will of God for your life and our lives can only be discovered in Jesus Christ. So if you're not born again, if you do not know Jesus, you will never be able to truly discover God's perfect plan for your life. That which God has actually prepared from before beginning of time for your life. So my friends, we don't live in a nirvana. We don't live in an uncertain future. We don't live according to Kismet or some surroundings where something either happens or it doesn't. But the plans of God are real. And in the very moment when you give your life to Jesus, the very moment that you bow before Jesus, that you, the moment you are in Christ Jesus, God begins to show you his plans and to reveal them to you. And now something's really, really important. Listen carefully. Because God has got a perfect plan. Amen? You agree? So God has a perfect will, but there is also the allowed or permitted will of God. So tell the person next to you the perfect will and turn to the other person the permitted will of God. So that means that if we miss the perfect will of God, we actually end up in the permitted will of God. So God will permit something to happen even though it might not be his perfect will. You understand? So God's perfect will is connected to blessing, fullness, fruit. That's what the Word of God says. But God's permitted will will always lead me into a desert. So there are situations that we might experience where we get our own will, what we want, but it's not the perfect will of God. And we actually only see by the results that something's not quite right. Something doesn't really work out. And so, I would like to uh, continue sharing the story of Jeremiah, the prophet. Jeremiah 1, God continues speaking to him. God speaks to Jeremiah before you were born, as we read just now. I had a perfect plan, perfect will for your life. I've got a plan, you will be a prophet, the entire world will know you, Jeremiah. And by the way, Jeremiah, this perfect will 
is not always just nice for you. It's not just comfortable. You'll never get married. You'll have to walk around with a heavy yoke. You will prophesy to kings, but no one will accept or understand your prophecy. You will be stuck in a cistern, and at the end of your ministry, Jerusalem will be destroyed. The people will be led into captivity for 70 years. Wow. So do you actually want to live in God's perfect will? That wasn't quite so easy, was it? Because we've got our own ideas about God's perfect will. You know, as long as it's good and works, it's nice. But as soon as it takes a different turn, we draw back and wonder, you know, is it really the will of God? So it wasn't an easy decision for Jeremiah. But... The will of God stood firm. It was the perfect will of God. And then God says to you, do not be afraid. I will put my words into your mouth. And praise the Lord, Jeremiah says yes. And let me read a few other words to you as well. In the same chapter, Jeremiah chapter 1, it says, The Lord reached out his hand, touched my mouth, and said, See, I am placing my words into your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. We know this wonderful word. And the word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree. I replied, and the Lord said to me, You've seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. This word is the word of the living God. It's the same word that shows us the perfect plan of God, that showed this and determined this perfect will of God. And Jeremiah is called, and praise the Lord, he says yes to God's plans and his calling, the perfect plans of God. And then he goes and prophesies, Jeremiah 7, it says, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. Walk in the ways that I command you, so you will be doing well. So that is the call to the people of Israel, walk in the ways of God. But they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed their stubborn inclinations of their evil hearts. They went backward and not forward. So that's verse 23 and 24. And now let's think about another point here. Because the will of God is totally different to what we might be able to imagine. I told you just now about the, the calling that God gave to Jeremiah. You know, I, I think it was last week that I read the book of uh, the prophet Jeremiah and I stopped in chapter 27 because I was fascinated by what I saw there. So that was the story, the beginning of the rule of uh, King Zedekiah and God speaks to Jeremiah and says, make a yoke out of wood and then go to the king, prophesy to him, and tell him something really strange. Something that's very strange. What is my perfect will in this case? It will happen this way. Tell the king Zedekiah, Jerusalem will be torn down. And the people of Israel 
will be taken captive and will be enslaved. It is the time when all nations will serve the king of Babylon and those who rebel and resist will perish. But those who allow to be led capt captive will live for 70 blessed years in Babylon. Isn't that a strange kind of prophecy? Just believe. <coughs> Just think about it. Someone goes to the king and says, I want you to accept the word that Jerusalem will be destroyed, it will be taken captive, the people of Israel will be exiled. So he prophesies disaster over the people of Israel. Can you imagine this? I don't know what your response would have been. Because usually we prefer good prophecies. Someone comes to you and prophesies, oh, you will have good years and there'll be lots of fruit. And that, these are prophecies that we are receiving and that do agree with the word of God. But if somebody comes and tells you something completely contrary, something totally different to what your life's been like up to now, others than your ideas, even differently to what your idea of God may be like, and everybody goes crazy. The king, Zedekiah, all his prophets, everyone goes crazy. And they say, this can't be the will of God. Disaster and war prophesied instead of peace. That's You are a liar, Jeremiah. You are just lying. The Lord has not sent you. This is not possible. And then Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah spoke to the entire people of Israel. Don't you don't want to listen is what the Lord says and therefore you will be led captive and therefore judgment will come over you and when I read this I thought wow that really is taken from from real life the people of Israel Zedekiah the king the prophets they have closed ears they've got a closed heart their ideas are so stubborn and are so governed by what God should be doing, is supposed to be doing, they can't hear from him anymore. The plans of God do not fit into their ideas. And that's why they resisted God. And how easy it is to understand, because who wants a prophecy like that? You know, war, destruction, terrible things that are to come. And then you can read here how they burnt the scroll with the prophecies and they slandered Jeremiah as a traitor and then they threw him into the cistern and I am wondering how is this possible that you are actually so mistaken about the will of God how can that be today I mean, it's possible, right? It is possible that you can be so mistaken about the will of God, even though my ideas might look so nice. If I have the right ideas, maybe like you are a Christian, you follow Jesus, you're in a church, maybe even this church. And yet, you can just really walk past the will of God and his plans. So how is that possible? Was that God's intention, destroying Israel, bringing disaster, having the terrible things happen? Because that's what the, the kings thought. But let's take a look at the heart of God. 
They were not able to grasp God's ideas because God says that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And if we then continue reading in Jeremiah 29, this is what the Lord Almighty says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back. Oh, Zedekiah, if you'd only knew, known that, if you had opened your heart, if you truly had been willing to listen to God's will, if you'd been willing to lay down your own ideas and not be limited by what you think God should be doing. And then God says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I know. Did you ever doubt? Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Did you ever think that I had plans of suffering for you? Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me. And when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. That's the heart of God. And then one chapter later, he says, I will heal you and restore you. I will heal your wounds, says the Lord, because they call you exiled, the one nobody asks about. And then Jeremiah 31, the Lord appeared to me from afar. I have loved you from ever and ever, and I have sought you out. The heart of God is melting with love for his people. And there you have Jeremiah, who proclaims the word of the Lord. And then you've got uh, Zedekiah, the false prophet, and their ideas about the plan and will of God are so wrong. But so many times, we have completely warped ideas about the will of God. We've been formed like this. Just even by hearing the word will, the will of God, we immediately have associations of misused authority, abuse in maybe our parents' home, or even German history, negative experiences. If you talk to someone, you know, immediately they bring all these examples. And for many, the will of God is something where they're extremely suspicious, like Zedekiah and the people of Israel. And many are so afraid of the will of God. Just like Adam and Eve, do you remember? You know, in Genesis 1, in the story of creation, at first they walked with God, they had fellowship with Him, glorious times with the Father in heaven. And then there was sin. And they took a wrong decision. They just decided something in the wrong way. And immediately afterwards, they started to be afraid of God of his plans, his will. So there was mistrust and suspicion. They were afraid of the will of God. And that's a mark of the world and creation that has been separated from God, that has fallen, and that now tries to raise itself above God. That's a totally wrong idea that we still carry in ourselves. And now there is Jesus. And Jesus teaches his disciples. Because the disciples come to him and say, Lord, teach us how to pray. And then there is Jesus, the Son of the living God. And he says, I don't do anything else but the will of the Father. So every word that he teaches his disciples was birthed by the Father in heaven. And he teaches them, 
your kingdom come. Let that be your daily prayer. And when you when you pray, I want my kingdom to be made visible. The kingdom of his presence, his grace, that is to be spread. And he says, how can this be done? How can this kingdom come? There is a prerequisite so the kingdom can spread right here in Tübingen or in Germany, in Europe, in any nation. There is a prerequisite, a requirement. Your kingdom come and your will be done. And now he says, your will be done in heaven and on earth, but he says, the will of God is already done in heaven, as it is in heaven, doesn't have to be done there, but we've got a blueprint of God's will in heaven, the precious, wonderful will of God, his authority, he is love, and it is marked by his love and mercy and compassion. And he says, just as the will of God is done in heaven, the same way, let it be done here on earth. So let the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, the will of God in heaven, that's not a virtual imagination, but it's just as real as our God is real. The will of God in heaven is purely good, is without any unrighteousness. And how can we be suspicious towards him, doubtful? He's full of love and goodness and mercy. The will of God in heaven is an expression of the highest protection and care of the Father. And even that stirs ideas in us that have been so much formed by our own experiences. We are full of suspicion and doubts. We think, oh yeah, the Father in heaven on the throne, everyone needs to kneel before him, sing hallelujah and whatever. They've got terrible ideas. But the will of God is the highest expression of his grace and his love. It is incomparably greater than any human will. It is permeated by God's holiness and glory. It is imperishable. It is incomparable. It is eternal. And now what Jesus teaches his disciples in prayer is when once the perfect will of God is done, the kingdom of God is built. As soon as we do the will of God, as his will comes, the kingdom spreads. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, when the will of God happens through us, his kingdom is built. And whoever loves the will of God and obeys it, these are the people who bring his kingdom down to earth. That's their mark, their hallmark. The will of God is not just a byproduct. It's not the whip that keeps cracking at our sides and I have to think about it. Oh, am I obedient or not? Oh, you know, the will of God is nothing harsh. It's not a piece of stone. It's not a rock. But Jesus says that all those who ask for the Holy Spirit, the Father won't give you stones instead of bread. But so often we think that the will of God were like a hard rock that I just hit my foot against. But your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus did nothing else but the will of the Father. We read that in John 6. 
For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. And Luke 22, we know in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was in the battles and sweating blood and water, Father, he says, take this cup from me, but not, not my will, but your will be done. The will of the Father is so perfect and so, so incomparably great. And now last week, when I was praying to think about this passage, I was seeking God. It was like a vision that I had of how precious the will of God is. Even in the Psalms, we can see that the will of God is more precious than silver and gold. It's more precious than anything we could receive. The will of God is not something we can just take along on the side. But the will of God is so precious because it is born in heaven. The perfect will of God, the perfect plan of God in our lives, to live in it is the most precious thing that can happen to us. And the mark, and that's my next point here, of salvation and eternal life is that your greatest desire is to find out the plans of God for your life and to do His will. That's the mark for salvation and eternal life. So it's a mark that we have this desire. Lord, there is nothing I would like better in this world than living in your perfect will for my life. I love nothing more than finding out those plans for my life. There's nothing I'd love more than doing your will. There are a few words that we don't usually like that much in the Bible, and it will be very rare to find them quoted in church. Or at least in churches that are not so much into self-giving and sacrifice. Matthew 27, 20, Matthew 7:21. Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will come to heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father in heaven. So, my friends, that's a verse that totally changed my life. And I still remember when I got saved and was a young believer. Well, Jesus should be really proud of me that I've become a believer now. Well, I was quite arrogant. And I thought, well, even the Christians now who led me to faith, my friends, who took me to church with them, I thought, well, they really had a good catch with me. But actually, step by step, I had to learn what it means to be faithful in following Jesus. And the first thing the Lord taught me was Jobst, you have to learn to do my will. Because it's not enough to get saved. Because that's the open door. That's the fact that the minus in front of your life is changed into a plus. But your life has only started now. You cannot just rely on that salvation experience and continue living like before. But, rather, your life needs to change now. Now you become a follower of Jesus. And the mark of a follower of Jesus is not even the fact that we behave in a Christian way. But the mark is 
that I am hungry and thirsty and passionate and that I have this inner desire to do the will of God. Lord, no longer my will, but your will be done. So, inviting Jesus as Lord over our lives, that means I get my life into agreement with what he wants. So, I am no longer the Lord over my life, but Jesus is the Lord over my life. Matthew 12, 48 and 50, Jesus says, He replied and said to them, because the, it was the mother uh, and brothers, his own family who were outside and waiting for him, and he says, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So I think you can't put it any clearer than that. This is what Jesus said. The mark is doing the will of God. So we know that the human will, we know that of our own lives, it's something really very strange because we are actually made according to God's image but this will is not the same for every person like every human being has a nose or something but the will of God might look very different there might be people who are strong-willed well in, in German the word for will and, and glasses spectacles sounds quite the same so God's spectacles can be strong or not so strong like our will can be strong and not so strong like a muscle that you need to train some people have trained their will very well they can move things they can be very dominant our will can bring forth good or bad our will can influence other people can subjugate others can manipulate at the same time when we take a look at the will of God there is no up and down movement right because the will of God is present every day the will of God it's not something that's just somewhere that you experience in a certain place, but it's the same every day. It's present just as his love is present with us every day. And at the same time, the word of God says, the will of God is good and perfect and pleasing. And so we can only hear the will of God and only distinguish it from other voices and wills when we have actually directed our inner aerials, the Bible calls it, we, when we have our mind focused on Him or our senses. So that takes us to another point. The will of God is present every day. It is there every single day. Every day when the Lord speaks to us. So on God's part he is open every day the question is are we open every day and the very thing within us that helps us to receive the will of God is our senses that are focused on God are in a man and the second thing is that the will of God the perfect will of God his plan is something that you don't receive just from one moment to the next. You know, when we were thinking about where to study, my wife and I, we started praying, we talked to our pastor, and we knew God had a calling for us. 
But then the Lord started speaking about us to go to Tübingen. That was his will, his plan, and praise the Lord, we were able to do that. But we had no revelation about what was going to happen in Tübingen. We had no revelation that we would start a church here, that we'd have TOS ministries. We didn't know anything about the March of Life. So the will of God is a progression. Because you can't immediately discover the will of God, but it is progressing in your life. It gets stronger and stronger. You see more and more of it. There are certain points that the Lord is speaking very clearly, yes. But if we look in Romans 12, 1 and 2, Brothers and sisters, I admonish you by the grace of God that you give your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Let this be your sensible service to God. And do not be confirmed to this world, but be transformed, and our verse 2 is important, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so you can test what is the will of God which is good, so say, which is good, which is pleasing to God, and perfect. So, and this is a progression, okay? You know His will, that it is good and perfect, that it is pleasing. So, and actually one thing to add, the Hebrew understanding here in, is very m visible in this uh, chapter. The, um, the uh, understanding of the heart, lev levab. So in the Hebrew sense, the heart is the seat of the will. So your will is located in your heart. So the heart of God is the place where you take decisions. And the heart of God is the place where I find pleasure in the world of God. So, you see, it's a completely different sense of compared to mistrust, I am forced to do things, I have to do things. But this is actually connected to what is pleasing to God. So it's good, because God's a good God. Even though I might not understand everything, God's will is pleasing, because it comes out of His heart. And the will of God is perfect. So he's got a perfect plan, good, pleasing, and perfect. So that's why we find here that we should be men and women according to God's heart. You know why? Not only because he loves us, but who of you wants to be a man or woman according to God's heart? Anyone here? Men and women according to God's heart, these are the ones who actually live according to his plans and his will. And the Lord says, well, you're a man after God's own heart. That means you live according to his plans, in his plans, in his will. So turn to the person next to you, tell them, you're a man or a woman according to the heart of God. I hope so. Okay. So the perfect will of God, God is starting to speak about this. But actually, it's possible to say, oh well, Lord, tonight, I'll spend this night in prayer because I want to find out the perfect plan of God for my life for the coming 40 years. It may well be possible that you have a good night in prayer, but probably 
you don't know any more than before. Because the Lord says to you, I want you to follow me step by step. And your job is to seek me. So you cannot recognize God's will overnight. Ephesians 5.17. So don't be foolish, but understand the will of God. So the Lord says, I want you to seek me. Not just once and then not again for the next 10 years, but every day. Reach out for him. What is your will? Find it out. Every day. I want you to take the word of God and research in it, study it. There's no other way but you seeking God in prayer every day. There's no other way than finding people who give you advice. Live a lifestyle so I can bring my plans to pass in your life. Reach out your spiritual senses, not just once a year or once a month when you have a good day of prayer, but every day, over and over again. Because that's the only way that I can bring my plans to pass in your life. Do you understand this? And that takes us to a very important point. An important point here. Because there is a state when you can live as a believer, you can even go to services. You can worship the Lord. And yet, it may be impossible for you to find out what the will of God is in your life. And this is what we find in Romans 12, verse 2. It says, do not be conformed to this world. Or don't be equal to the world. Don't conform to the pattern of the world. So it's impossible for you to find out the will of God if you've got a secular, worldly spirit in your mind, if you think along the same lines as the world. If there are areas in your life where you are equal to the world, whether it's in your job, in your looks, the way you live, and what people say about you, what they like about you, what's the style and what's the done thing, if those things are more important to you than what God says. To have a worldly, carnal mind makes it impossible to receive the will of God. That's what Romans 12, 1-2 says. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And do not confirm any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So only once your will is renewed, the Bible says having a spiritual mind, if you don't live carnally anymore, no longer confirmed to the pattern of this world, you will be able to receive and know his will. Then you're online with him. And therefore, this is just really, really hard if you're conformed to this world and constantly, constantly, your mind, your spirit is on the internet, in your computer, books, whatever. If your mind is busy somewhere else, And Paul says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Because if you're carnally minded, you'll never find out what the will of God is. Your mind needs to be spiritual. You need to be spiritually minded in order to see the good and pleasing, perfect will of God. So I need to be filled with the word of God. 
It's not enough to act according to what God might think like and how most people do it or what our spiritual examples might live like. It's good to see that and to find examples, but that's not enough because the key is the Word of God has to live in you. And so don't be transformed or conformed to the world anymore. So don't go back. You can even be a believer and take your first steps with Jesus. You, maybe you came to the altar, you gave your life to God, you were touched by Him, you invited Jesus to come into your heart, you want to follow Him, you gave Him your life. But then He says, don't go back to your old carnal life, into your life without God. Carnal life, you know, having my ego in the center of my life, no longer the will of God. In order to have a spiritual mind, I need to be filled with the Word of God. Because unless that is the case, I'll never be able to find out what the will of God is. I might be able to live a Christian lifestyle, but I'm not online with His will and His plans. So the Bible says only those who are spiritually minded can know my will, know the will of God. And as we said, there is the perfect will of God and there is the permitted will of God. So the perfect will of God is what God wants, plans of his blessing, plans that might be different to what we imagine but always born out of His love, His grace, and compassion, born from heaven. That's the perfect will that Jesus prayed for. And it's the same will that He taught the disciples when He taught them the Lord's Prayer. But there is also the permitted will of God. And if you've got a Bible with you, look up Psalm 106, verses 10 to 15. Because this describes the deliverance of Israel from Egypt and he helped them from the hand of those who hated them so the people of Israel were delivered from slavery from the pharaohs and he saved them from the hand of the foe the waters covered their adversaries yeah of course the Red Sea not one of them survived. Then they believed his promises and sang his praise. So they were excited. They saw the miracles of God. They saw God's victory. They were so excited. They had done what God had told them to do. You will see the ten plagues. You will go through the Red Sea, I'll keep you and provide for you. There'll be the pillar of fire and pillar of cloud. They had seen all of that and they sang his praise. But then verse 13, but they soon forgot what he had done. And they did not wait for his counsel. And then in the Luther translations, they gave in to their craving. They lived carnally, to put it into uh, our modern understanding. And they tested God in the wasteland. But he, and so please listen carefully, verse 15, it doesn't say God resisted them. But here it says, what happened? 
That's the permitted will of God. But he gave them what they asked for. But he gave them what they asked for. And he sent a wasting disease or a lack, dryness, drought to their soul. So on the one hand, they were happy about what had happened, but they forgot what he had done. They forgot paying attention to him. They didn't seek him. They didn't continue doing the will of God. They didn't seek his counsel. They didn't seek his will. And now, see, the same thing happens today. Because so many people, and maybe you're among them as well, I don't know, but so many people are delivered, have an encounter with Jesus, Maybe you even have a wonderful testimony like Sammy and many, many others. And you go your way. And maybe you're even taking your first steps with Jesus. Something happened in your life. You got to know Jesus. Maybe you come to church and come to church again. Or maybe you come and join online services uh, through internet uh, TV. But you no longer seek His will. You no longer desire to live according to his perfect will. And there's so many people who then say, no, now I will live according to my possibilities. I stop reading the Bible. I won't go to counseling sessions. I won't allow people to tell me anything. Uh, God and I, we're a good team. We can do it on our own. I don't ask for advice. I don't allow people to tell me where to go. And that actually produces a host of individualist Christians, a host of people. And according to the word of God, a thick blanket of dust settles upon them. And they live according to maybe the intention of God, but they can never say, I live according to God's perfect will. There's so many people who don't want to be planted in a living church. So many people. And I'm not saying here in Tos, but in maybe in whatever church, wherever. But so many people who no longer hear the will of God. They're no longer able to hear God's counsel. They don't take the word of God any longer in their daily life, but they place it on the shelf, maybe like Jeremiah here. His word was burned. Column by column, it was cut off and burned in the brazier. And then in Psalm 106, we find, we read, he gave them what they asked for. Verse 15. So did you know that when we ask the Lord for certain things, and when we get certain answers to prayer, the things that we carry in our own hearts, it is not necessarily the perfect will of God. There is a perfect will of God and a permitted will of God. But God's criteria is always the thing that comes after it. What's the consequence? Because here what happened was that the people of Israel lived in a desert, in a wasteland. There was need and drought. There was no blessing upon them. They ended up in prison. They had no more joy. I am privileged to um, walk with people in counseling for the past 20, 30, 40 years now. Prayer and conversations. 
And so many times we talked to people who said, I actually thought that God wanted me to do this. And then I did it, but somehow I kind of lost all joy in my heart. And then we went back to that point and we asked, well, how did you come to take this decision? Did you seek God? Did you ask him? Did you wait for him? Did you study the word of God? Did you allow other people to counsel you? Did you allow other people to speak into your life? And they usually say no. And very easily you come and find those points where you see, oh, wow, there's kind of a crossroads and something went wrong. Maybe you took a wrong turn. So there is the permitted will of God. So he gave them what they asked for. But this is also something we can see in our lives, you know, because God really respects our own will. And this is something I also see, that when we pray for something and we want something, we want it, and it's so important to us. The love of God is so great that at some point he says, well, right, then off you go. I do go and study the story of Biliam. Go, it's all right. Because God relies on the fact that we will reach the, the point when we are in the desert, in the place of need, the place of drought, that he will be able to win our heart again. Because the Lord doesn't want to do anything without having our heart. He doesn't want us to be obedient for the sake of it. But he wants us to do his will because we love him. He wants us to obey because we understand that his will is precious. More precious than gold and silver, purely good. Even though we understand that God doesn't want us to do certain things. He doesn't want to force us to do things. But that we would actually even say yes to the unusual plans of God. Just like Jeremiah said yes. And so let's pray together. You know, I can fear the will of God. I can mistake him. I can just neglect him. I can have a very negative attitude. I can resist the will of God or the plans of God. It may well be possible that I cannot recognize the plan of God with, because my mind is not renewed. But the plan of God, the will of God, will always lead you into freedom. Into freedom that you don't know yet. Because where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom. And the Holy Spirit takes you. If you say, oh Lord, I don't know how to do this. And then he says, well, just focus on me. Have your mind focused on me. And I will lead you into all truth. I will lead you to the Father's heart. I will draw you. I want to allow you to taste and see how precious my perfect plan is for your life. I want to get you online with my plans of blessing for your life. So let's all stand and pray together.